You're listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. You all can take your seats and the kiddos that are with us, um, you all can be dismissed to the back to go to our Coconut Kids ministry at this time. Um, And during this part of our service, normally if, if you're here regularly, you know that as a community, um, we value uh, confessional prayer, and we normally take some time to do that um, together. But um, being that it's our birthday service and that we're celebrating year seven of this church, uh, we thought we'd do something a little differently tonight, that we would get to hear maybe some of the stories of the people who have been part of this community um, in different ways and how um, God has worked in their life, how God has used this church and this community and all of you in their life. And so first... Um, We're going to get to hear from Caitlin. She's going to share a little bit with us about this past year for her. And then um, our favorite Scotsman, Jordan Smith, will be coming up to um, share with us after Caitlin. So, Caitlin, I'll turn it over to you and um, go right ahead. Um, So, like Danny said, my name is Caitlin. Um, We all saw my husband earlier because he was a volunteer, so we clapped for him. Um, Yeah, so I wrote down what I'm going to say because I have the gift of gab and I will talk too much. Um, So I'm gonna read this. This is from the heart uh, and we welcome tears. Tears are a gift here. I learned that from Prov. So if tears come up, we're going with it. Okay. So anyone who has spent 10 minutes with me knows that I am a huge fan of Prov, and I slip it into most of my conversations, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Before joining Prov, Dylan and I were serving at MPC for the morning services. We then made plans to move, but our plans changed, and we needed a place we could join that worked with our new life schedules. So here is Prov. Um, For some context, I am an Enneagram 4, which basically means I have a lot of empathy. I need to be unique and stand out. I love art and creativity, and I carry around a lot of internal shame, and I often feel like I don't fit in anywhere and am a burden to those who love me. For much of my life, my relationship with God reflected these feelings. In college, I was introduced to theology, and I thought maybe if I believed all the right things, then I would finally feel like a beloved child of God, and other Christians might accept me as a godly Proverbs 31 woman. If you know me, then you know that I am not a Proverbs 31 woman, but I'm more like a Proverbs 31 man. Thank you. Fast forward to last year, we joined Prov, and I was in the beginning stages of trying to reconcile what I mentally believed about God 
and how I was emotionally experiencing that relationship. Through Prov this last year, I have learned how to feel the love and grace that God gives us, that God gives me. I didn't know how to feel that and accept that before. I'm personally an open book, but sharing about my life is not vulnerable for me. And so I didn't even know how to be vulnerable until I formed relationships with Keith and Sarah Claire and, and many of you. Being at Prov has shown me how to be truly vulnerable and let others around me help me carry and dissolve my shame. Prov has shown me how to love others through times of joy, grief, anger, uncertainty. Prov helped me connect with my artistic side again. I was starving my creativity because creativity is vulnerable for me to share, but this community shows up for each other and they've shown up for me. The artists in this community teach me that creativity is worth pursuing and it's treasured by God. My artistic side has been flourishing since joining Prov. There's a lot more I can say, but I'll stop with these final thoughts. This community is generous with their time, their resources, their love. It's a continual journey, but through Prov, I feel like I finally have the tools to let me love others well in the way that Christ loves us and that Christ loves me. Prov has helped me be a better human being and has changed the way that I interact with people, the way that I interact with Dylan, the way that I interact with myself and with God. I feel valued, empowered, loved, and safe here. God continually saves me through this church and I have so much love for this community. So thank you and happy birthday to Prof. Thank you, Caitlin. Jordan, you have the floor. I am Providencia's only Scotsman, so I don't think that makes for much competition for a favorite Scotsman. Still a favorite, though. Seven years. Um, where do we start? Um, when I started, Providencia didn't have a name. Barack Obama was president. Keith had three kids. And you could buy a house in Flamingo Park for $200,000. It's been a while, and it has been a wild ride. Some of you might know that my, Matty and I are moving to Bangkok, uh, Thailand in a couple of weeks. So this is going to be more of a reflection on Providencia and you'll have to come back next week to hear the real good stuff about my life, my journey and um, going forward. But I'm going to take you back a little bit. But with all this hype around my leaving, I feel a little bit like the Queen, that there's lots of people that want to say goodbye to me. I can make that joke because I am British. And what are you going to do? Fire me? So I'm going to give you a brief chronology of Providencia. The early days. We didn't have a building. We didn't have a name. And we were a loose group of individuals. You were more likely to find us at the blind monk than in a Bible study. We met in houses, we had dinners, and believe it or not, we had a text thread that had every member of the church on it. Danny still has PTSD from that text thread. Brenny Brown was our lead pastor. And I do want to share the story of how we ended up meeting in this place. 
and Keith came here from Miami and um, where things didn't end super well and he had some conflict with the pastors that were near him and the pastor at the time of this place was a gentleman by the name of Randy Bear if you're British you can always laugh at that name and he was a kind and generous man and we were looking around for what space we could meet we were looking at the spreadsheets and thinking this is going to be an huge expense for this fledging little church. And we had agreed to meet at Dreyfus, which is a school just up the road there. And while Keith was on his way to sign the check and to pay the deposit for meeting in that space, he bumped into Mr. Randy Bear. And Randy said, Keith, where are you guys meeting? Like, have you, have you decided? Have you found anywhere? And Keith was like, yeah, I'm just going to go sign the deposit now. And Randy said, why don't you just meet here? We don't use it. You guys can have it. And I think from that very early vision that it was the first time as Providencia, we thought that somebody believed in us, that somebody saw the potential and that somebody was willing to be generous. And what at opposite to some of the power, some of the holding and some of the ego we experienced from so many other leaders. The early days. This next phase was my personal favorite I want to call it the cowboy and the cowgirl days. If you were here for it, you know what I'm talking about. We had a lot of fun. We were running around the national gathering. We had mixology classes. There was a conversation, and our tagline was, ouch, this might hurt. We were ragtag. We were loose around the edges, and our Instagram feed was a trip. We all had access to it and it was nowhere near as curated and as polished as it is today. I think it was more likely to feature a picture of Keith's lunch than it was to feature anything else. And my story from this time was the time I nearly lost Providencia, all of their funding. And we were at the national gathering, and some of you might know there was a bit of bad blood between the PCUSA and the PCA. There was just all this thing. And there was a very sweet Korean gentleman who was the pastor of a very large church uh, in the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest. And he had just been in a legal battle and had to buy his church from the nomination for $5 million. And he had told us this story in great emotion. Keith was standing there, I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, I really don't know what to say to this guy, this sucks, but... Um, so I just, something came to my mind and I said, well, did you keep the hymn books at least? It was, I thought it was funny, but Keith gave me a look that could cut a man in half. The next phase, slightly more positive. I wouldn't call this phase, we are going places. We are going places. We felt that we had more influence in the city, that the nomination was growing, and people were asking us, how do we replicate what you are doing? It seems like you're doing amazing things. I want to know how to do this for our church. And we were like, yeah, we are doing amazing things. And then COVID happened. And overnight, 60 plus of us lost jobs. Many of us went home to be with their families. And we felt a sense of grief that all this momentum that we had been building towards came to an abrupt stop. And we didn't quite know what was going to happen next. And this phase we're in now, I think we're going to call it the rebuild. And this is where we are now. We are having a new partnership with Memorial. 
where Keith is now double dipping as lead pastor of both. And I think there is a sense of excitement. There is a sense of there are new faces, there are new people, and there is new energy coming back into the sanctuary. And going back to our stories about the national gathering, for the first time ever, we had the police called on us at the national gathering because Sarah Claire sang too loudly at karaoke. That is a true story. You can ask about that at the dinner afterwards. So I want to briefly indulge you with the story of how this little man from Scotland ended up in West Palm Beach. It was my last year of my senior year in college in 2014. Some students from PBA had done a study abroad in Scotland, and I had, I had become friends with them. And one of them, a guy by the name of Chris Lopez, who was an OG member here, and he and his wife Carly now live in New York, he invited me to his wedding. And I said, 21-year-olds getting married, that is something that is crazy, and I want to see it. But I was a broke student, and I couldn't afford the ticket. So I said, Chris, I'm really sorry, man, but I can't afford the ticket. And it was in the final week of my exams in college. And so, like any studious person does, I went to get some Chinese food. And my fortune cookie said, exciting news from afar will help you plan a journey. True story. I came home, opened up my laptop, and I had an email from Chris saying, hey man, my mom works for Delta. She's got you a standby ticket, and you can come to my wedding if you're at the airport on Thursday. So this was Tuesday, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so on Wednesday, um, the last day of college, we had a guest lecturer um, who worked at St. Andrews University in Scotland, a guy by the name of Scott Haithman. Um, and I kind of checked him afterwards, and I said, you know, I'm going to Florida tomorrow. He was like, no way. Where in Florida? I said, West Palm Beach. And he said, no way. My best friend is Lucky Arnold, and he lives there. I'll get him to take you out for lunch. And for those of you who don't know who Lucky Arnold is, he was, the just before he retired, the senior pastor at um, First Pres North Palm Beach, a church that Memorial helped to plant in the 60s. And so Lucky and I had lunch when I was here, and he said, there's a guy you have to meet. His name is Keith Case. He just moved here. So Keith and I met at Bar Louis, RIP, and we had lunch. And I was like, Keith, whatever you're doing here sounds awesome, and I want to be a part of it. And... I've been part of it ever since, and it's been a wild, beautiful, and incredible ride. So I'm just going to leave you with three little reflections um, I have about Providencia. It's very hard to distill um, seven years, eight years of life and experience in three points. That's why you've got to come back next week for part two. So first point is you can't put a price on presence. That we as a community have emphasized presence so much. And that sort of plays out in several different ways. Where how can you have presence with yourself? How can you have presence with the city? How can you have presence with the church family? And how can you have presence with God in your life? All of those things have been challenging for me, but through here, um, this place has become a place of healing. And many of you yourself are healers. Sarah Claire, with her, with her wisdom and with her love. Gina, with her yoga classes, healing her bodies. Danny, with your music that speaks to our souls. Thank you for leading us and leading me with your presence. Second point 
is growth takes time. Don't rush it. You might miss something. And I think this is true for our church. It's true for ourselves. And you can't rush through the process. And if you rush, you will miss what's really beautiful. And that's connection with each other, connection with yourself, and connection with God. And lastly, be open and be curious. Don't let your fear prevent you from seeing beauty in the world and being ready and open for the big adventure. This has been true for me. And when I came here, I felt like a stranger to myself. But I'm leaving here feeling like my skin truly fits. I feel inspired. I feel in love. And I feel that I am equipped to take on the next adventure. I feel that I have been able through you all to grow deep roots, to grow into myself, to grow into my calling. And I feel ready with the bittersweet tension of moving to Bangkok. And one final point, and the most important point, James Keith Case. I don't know where to begin, um, but you have brought this space into life um, at a time of incredible pain in your own life, and you took the risk to do that, um, and you said yes. And I think every person in this room owes you a debt of gratitude for guiding us and for leading us and for showing us how to lead into our own story and showing us how to be open with God's presence and God's leading in our life. So I love you and thank you for taking the risk. Our scripture comes from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Caitlin. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Providencia. 
Um, and it is a joy to be here tonight. Um, I feel in a little bit of an awkward position uh, because for several reasons. First of all, I didn't know Jordan was going to preach. Um, but I appreciate it. Where'd you go? Can't put a price on presents. Um, the second thing is that I realize I'm standing between us and dinner and partying. And so that puts me in an awkward position. And finally, because we had these different elements going on, these different things for the birthday service, the timings that we had written out on our sheet have, have gone by the wayside long ago. And so I'm sort of cutting this sermon on the fly, and that is not my style. This is what sermons usually look like for me. And so um, I don't know where this is going, but I trust that you'll go with me. Um, the birthday service each year, this kind of middle of September spot, is a time when we always try to uh, introduce a new theme for our preaching year. Usually we try to choose something that's going to be a, a kind of theme that ties our sermons together for an entire year. We're not doing that this year exactly. Um, but instead, we've chosen a theme that we hope will tie a set of sermons together for the next 10 weeks or so. And then during Advent and Christmas, we're going to jump back into lectionary readings, readings that the church uh, across the world um, and uh, through the history of the church have read during the lead up to Christmas and just after Christmas. So we'll get back to that in a little bit. Um, but the theme that we have chosen for the next 10 weeks is this phrase, living stones. It comes from the passage Caitlin just read in 1 Peter. Now this morning when we talked about this with the memorial congregation, I gave them a couple of minutes to talk to one another about what the phrase living stones sort of brought up for them. Like what was your first reaction when we put living stones on the screen. I'm not going to ask you to do that because, like I said, time. But I have to admit that for me, when we first came up with this little theme phrase, I didn't like it so much. I definitely had a negative response. I was sort of doing some verbal gymnastics, trying to think of any way to say living stones without saying living stones. It struck me as very churchy, somewhat cheesy, something that might come from the title of a Stephen Kerr's Chapman album in 2003 or a Promise Keepers retreat in the mid-90s. This is what Living Stones kind of sounded like to me. But then I had to stop. I had to stop. Because just as soon as I thought that, I felt like nothing overly dramatic, but the Holy Spirit sort of stopped me and reminded me, this isn't a human phrase, not really. This is a phrase from 1 Peter chapter 2. It's not really, it's certainly not a phrase that was invented in the Bible Belt in the 1990s. It's not really a phrase that was invented by humans at all. It's written by Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's a phrase that is both human but not merely human, somehow also divine. And so I wonder if tonight we might, I might, 
reimagine this phrase. Because Peter is doing a work of reimagining here in chapter 2, especially verses 4 through 10. Peter uses these images, words, metaphors, ways of identifying God's people that are supposed to only apply to Israel. Holy nation, royal priesthood, God's special possession. At the beginning of chapter 1, he calls them elect exiles. These are Gentiles that Peter is writing to, and yet he uses all of this language of God's people, language that's supposed to only apply to Israel, and he applies it to them. He does this act of reimagining by encouraging them to remember where they've come from, to remember that everything has changed, and then remember that they're not alone. We do a lot of work around here, as you've heard from Caitlin and Dylan already. I didn't know Caitlin was going to preach either with her story and with her harmonies. That was, a, that was a preached word to me tonight. But you heard from Caitlin and Jordan already the emphasis we put on story, on attending to our own histories, on recognizing that those stories shape us. The joy, the happiness, the peace that is in our stories, as well as the pain the trauma, the hurt that is in our stories. We recognize that all of that shapes us. And that's part of the work that we do in story groups. If you've been a part of a story group, you know that. If you'd like to know what we do in our small groups um, here at Providencia, which we call story groups, I'd encourage you to talk to one of us who are on staff. Afterwards, Sarah Claire heads that up for us. Part of the work we do in story groups is attending to those stories. But we also believe that attending to those stories is a first step toward transformation. That transformation can be real for each one of us and for our whole community because everything has changed. Peter takes this group of Gentile believers all the way back to Jesus' death and resurrection. He says to them, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. New birth into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection. Everything, because of Jesus' resurrection, has changed. And it's changed not just for us as individuals, but for us as a community. So as we think about remembering where we've come from, Jordan's painted a picture for us already of the past seven years of 
the Providencia community. Some of you I know were around in those early days when there was no building, there was no name, there was barely a vision. But there was a seed of these two things, remembering where you've come from, attending to your stories, and believing that everything has changed and transformation is possible. And then as Jordan sent us through that story, we remember two and a half years ago the fact that we were all as a society and as a world thrown into this thing called COVID. And I just have to say that if you don't know statistics on church plants, the fact that we are celebrating a seventh birthday is a miracle. Most church plants don't make it to seven, never mind global pandemics. There were a whole lot of church plants that didn't make it through COVID. And we're grateful for you, for our community, for lots of different miracles that happened over the past two and a half years that mean we come to today. But because we are interested in knowing ourselves and our community and where we've come from and believing that everything has changed because of Jesus. We see that that work of transformation happens in community. It doesn't happen on our own. We remember that we are not alone. This idea of remembering where we've come from, that everything has changed and that we're not alone has to be a communal act, something we do together. Alone, our imaginations, our stories, our lives, alone they implode or ossify to the point of immobility. Alone is not where transformation happens. We have to remember that we are not alone. All of the language through this passage in 1 Peter 2 is communal language. All the you pronouns are plural. All the we's are plural as they are in English. But you pronouns are often singular in English. They're actually plural in this passage. It's we who are living stones. We who are a community of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And this community is connected not just here in this space, but through time and space. This is the beauty of gathering at the communion table that we're going to do in just a minute. That when we gather at Christ's table to break bread, to drink from the cup, we are practicing a belonging that believers, followers of Jesus, have practiced through space today. Around the world, churches have gathered at this table, this Sunday and every Sunday. But it also connects us through 
time, this is beautiful and mysterious and amazing because Christians in the Reformation era, Christians in the Middle Ages, Christians we might not even like all that much, Christians in the first centuries after Jesus was resurrected, all of those Christians gathered at this table and practiced belonging as a reminder that we are not alone. And so this image of living stones that Peter sets before us, I want to ask the question, what does it take to reimagine this idea of living stones? What about this idea that Jesus, the one who has changed everything, is a cornerstone on which we are laid and beside whom we are laid? as living stones? What about this idea that we are living stones built on other living stones? Living stones we're connected with in this city through Memorial Presbyterian Church, through First Pres North Palm, through other churches that we are bound to, Tabernacle Baptist. And so as a way of trying to get at this image and this idea of being bound together through time and space, the next eight or ten weeks, we're going to be preaching through the Apostles' Creed. Some of you will be familiar with the Apostles' Creed. Some of you won't. It's all right if you're not. We're going to use it during our confession space. We're going to use the scriptural text that the Apostles' Creed is based on as the text that we'll preach from for the next several weeks. And what we want to do with that is get at this idea that as individuals and as a community, we are alive because of Jesus' death and resurrection. So as we think about stones, an image always comes to my mind when I hear that phrase, living stones. And it's an Old Testament image. It's an image that's going to appear in the song that we're going to sing at the end of the service in just a couple minutes. In the song that we're going to sing, you'll hear the English word Ebenezer. And this comes from... Wow, that took me by surprise. Um... The English word Ebenezer comes from two Hebrew words that means stone and help. It's a stone of help. But it points to an image in the Old Testament that always, always means when an Ebenezer is set up, when a set of stones is set up as an Ebenezer, as a stone of help in the Old Testament, it always means... always means God was with us God will be with us and it is God who is building us and so as we gather at the communion table and we participate in this practice of belonging 
that's important for us as a community to do every week because belonging is not something we're good at as a 21st century Western society especially. So we do it every week. We practice belonging. As we practice this belonging to remember the sacrifice Jesus makes, to look forward to a life that is to come, this is a version of an Ebenezer that we set up. That we say this is our stone of help. This is what we are built on. This is what we will rely on. And this will hold us together. Whatever work of building God wants to do in our community and our city in the next seven years. God, we thank you for the ways that you have sustained us in this year and through the last seven years and through the many years that are represented in this room tonight. We recognize that it is your sustaining power that brings us through, that binds us to your son, Jesus, that binds us to one another. And we thank you for the invitation to come to your table. Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit ProvidenciaWPB.org and click on the Give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, and have a blessed day.